what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely he did something that no other friend could do Good morning. It's good to see each and every one here today. Wasn't that a beautiful song? I have a double blessing with that song because whenever I hear that song, I think back to years ago, hearing it many times and always being touched. What a friend. There's, there's no better friend than Jesus. 
He's our Lord and our Savior, and he cares for us and loves us, and with a love that's incredible. But I also, I think of it for that reason. The second reason I think about it is because of my great uncle Irvin. He used to play that song, and he could play the guitar, and he could play the piano by ear. He never had any musical training whatsoever, but the man had the joy in his heart, and he would play that, and he would sing it from the bottom of his heart. And so it always reminds me, one day I'm going to see my, my dear great uncle and my other great uncle and my grandmother and all those who have known the Lord. You know, we have a reunion coming up and we're going to be there in heaven forever and ever. And I can't wait. It's going to be a great blessing. Shall we just say a word of prayer this morning one more time? Father, we are just confident that you're going to speak to our hearts today. And we pray by the Holy Spirit that we will have hearts to receive your word and to obey it, Lord, and to put it into practice in our lives, to be encouraged and challenged by your word. Please hide me behind the cross, Lord, and pray that your words would go forth and, and touch us right where we need to be touched. Help us, encourage us, strengthen us for the journey that lies ahead. And so we thank you and praise you now for all that you have done in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I attended that movie, God is Not Dead 2, on Wednesday night, and I knew it was going to be late for me if I went to the one at 7.45, because I get up so early in the morning. So I said, I'm going to go see if there's an earlier showing, and sure enough, there was an earlier showing at 4.50. So I got off the BART train there in West Dublin, and I drove my car up there, and I got to the theater, got a little bit of food, <clears throat> went into the seat and started watching this movie. And as the plot went along and as the story came, it touched my heart so much. I was so blessed. And I couldn't wait to tell the other saints. And I said, I hope there's some out there that are gathering because it's still early. But So I came out and I started to share with them. I said, you guys are going to be so blessed. I'm just thinking about it. It's touching me, right? Even now, thinking about that story and what, it, what took place in that movie. And it was a blessing. And the premise is, God is not dead. He's alive. And they said many times during that movie that phrase, God is not dead, he's surely alive. Think about it for a minute for, with me this morning. What would this world be like if God was dead? If there was no God? Now, if things are horrible today and all the sin and corruption and evil and wickedness that we see abounding everywhere, but think if there was no God. Think if there was no Holy Spirit to restrain the evil that's going on in the world today, to restrain it. How bad would it be if, there, if, if God really was dead? I grew up in the 60s. And back in the 60s, there was that expression. And some of you may remember it. They used to say, God is dead. But it's not true. God never died. He was never sick. There's nothing wrong with him. He's the, he's the mighty, powerful God who is alive. He had no beginning, and he has no end. And that is the God that we serve. Sometimes on Wednesdays when we have worship team, we sing that beautiful song that says, What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. These people in this movie and the story, they saw how mighty God was, that nothing could thwart his plans and nothing can thwart his purposes. And we see that to be true in our lives today. 
God is very much alive, and He's very much working in the hearts of people today to bring souls to Christ, to bring them to salvation, and to build up the church and strengthen the people of God to take the message of salvation to this world. Yes, we have a God who has wisdom and power, a God who loves us, and it's just amazing. And we have an awesome God. We have an amazing God. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth both of the wisdom and then of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. You know, it's amazing. If you try to describe God from what we know, we have such a finite understanding, such a limited knowledge of God. That's why when J.I. Packer wrote his book on the attributes of God and knowing God, it's amazing, and you can read that, and you can read all the attributes that are found in Scripture and all the verses that go with it, but we're just scratching the, th the surface. We really are on what we know. But one day, we're going to be there, we're going to see Him face to face, and we're going to see this great God that we worship. We're going to see Him face to face, and we're going to fall down and worship Him. And what a day, glorious day, that will be. The title of our message today is this, There is a God in Israel. It's an expression that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 46. And let's read it this morning. And we're going to see this, what David went through here with Goliath. And we're not going to focus on the story of David and Goliath. We know it very well, but we're going to focus on this expression and what it means to have a God in Israel. But let's begin reading at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, and I'm sure he looked him right in the eye. David didn't look down. He wasn't scared like the other people because he came in the name of the Lord. It says, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Imagine speaking to this huge giant, nine feet over tall, and he's saying these words to him because he's coming in the name of the Lord. He says, I'm going to take your head from you, and this day will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, it, he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into the, to the, his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Yes, there is a God in Israel. 
And David was confident in that. And that's why this was really a mismatch. Now, most of the time, when you hear about the story of David and Goliath, they always say it's one of the biggest upsets in the history, right? Because Goliath was favored by, let's say, five touchdowns, maybe, or six touchdowns, if you want to put it in a football terminology. They were giving David no shot, no hope, this young lad to fight this, this Goliath. But really, it was the other way around. Because it was an unfair fight from the standpoint that David had God's power with him, and the Philistine did not. The Philistine had earthly weapons. He had the arm of the flesh. He was doing it on his own from his own experience and background and training. He felt he could fight anybody and beat anybody. But he came across his match that day. Not because David was a great fighter or a great muscular person or a trained soldier or anything like that, but he came in the name of the Lord. He says, I don't come with you with sword or spear or any of these earthly weapons. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he says that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And that's the way it is in our lives, too. When we, are, when we have the Lord on our side, we can go forth with confidence, not in ourselves, but to know that God can do anything. He can do everything that he chooses to do. And the same God that was with David and gave him that victory over Goliath is the same God who's with us today when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go out and face difficulties. We can go out knowing we don't go out alone. We go out in the name of the Lord, and we face sometimes big-time troubles and hardships and difficulties, but we can know the Lord is with us. Hebrews 13.8 is that glorious verse. We all know it so well. Many of us have memorized it that says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. And he can, the one who gave David the victory can also give us the victory. Yes, there is a God in Israel. Ed's going to put up on the, on the board here, this, on the screen, the three things that we're going to look at today about how powerful and how wonderful our God is. And what really got me thinking about this was the movie. I came home and I was thinking about it. This would be an incredible thing to speak on. And I didn't know. The next day, Adel says to me, Carl is sick. So I'm thinking, but he didn't tell me yet. You said, one more day, I'll let you know. And then he let me know, and I prepared the message. But it's so powerful because we saw in the movie, we see it in our lives, that we have a living God. Number two, we have a limitless God, that there's nothing he cannot do. And number three, we have a loving God. And when we realize how great he is, we can face anything. We can face everything because he's with us. Will it make it easy? Is it, does it mean that he'll make things easy for us in life? Is it going to be a smooth, easy path? No, but he'll be with us and he'll give us the victory when we trust in him. You know, it's great to know that, first of all, we have a living God. God's not dead. And we look around us in this world today, and it may seem like to many people that God is dead because all these bad things are happening. And you know, anybody who's a skeptic, they'll always say, well, if God is real, and if God is really the loving God you talk about and really cares about things, why is he allowing this mess that we're in? Well, guess what? God didn't make the mess. We, as sinners, made the mess. God made the beautiful Garden of Eden. 
And he put Adam and Eve in the garden, gave them everything they could possibly want. He gave them only one commandment. You can eat from any tree of the garden except that one tree in the middle of the garden, the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it because in the moment that you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. And we know the story about how the serpent came and tempted Eve and she ate the fruit. And Adam, her husband, took it and ate it also. And sin came into existence. And ever since then, we as human beings, as sinners, have made a mess of all the beauty that God has given. But guess what? God wants to show us his power and he wants to show us his, his glory and he wants to, to take the messes of our lives and turn them into good things. I remember Taylor said, sang that song, uh, that we were the, we were, we had a mess. We were the, and he's the healer of the mess. He can put it all back together again. It's like a mother taking care of her children, and she's there in the kitchen, and the little child has spilled everything all over the floor. The milk is on the floor, the tomato sauce is on the floor, the the hot uh, things are on the, floor, and it's all just one big mess. And the mother says, "What are we going to do?" But you know what? Praise be to God. He can help clean up our mess. When we make the mess in our life, he can clean it up. He can help us. He can straighten us out. He can put us on the right path if we just trust in him. You know, one day the Sadducees came up to the Lord Jesus and they thought, boy, we, we got him this time. We got a story. There's no way he's going to be able to answer this one. They said, well, there was a man who married a wife. And the man and his wife got married and they had no children and the man died. And according to Hebrew scriptures, the brother of the deceased was to take that wife and to raise seed up, to raise children up in the name of the brother who died. And so that was a scriptural thing. And so they told him the story. The second man also died, no children. And then it went on. There were seven brothers in the family. And finally, the last brother died also. And the woman died and there was no children. And then, and then they say, we ask you, Master, in the resurrection, who, whose wife will she be? They thought, we've got him this time. What is he going to, how is he going to answer that? He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the brothers married this woman. So who, whose wife will she be? And he says, you are so mistaken, not knowing the scriptures. He said, in heaven, we're going to be like the angels of God. There's going to be, we're neither going to marry or be given in marriage, but be like the angels of God. And he says, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And the Lord Jesus Christ told the people that story. And that is true today. God is a God of the living, not of the dead. And that's why when he promises us a future in heaven, we're going to be living. We're going to be raised up and we're going to be with him forever. He's a living God. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world as God manifested in the flesh. He died on the cross, but he rose again and he ascended to heaven. He's the living one who was dead. He was dead, but now he's alive forevermore, it tells us in the book of Revelation. And we're so thankful that we have a living God. Aren't you thankful that we don't have a dead God? Aren't you thankful that when you wake up in the morning, you're not praying to the ceiling, you're not praying to a statue, you're not praying to a false god, you're praying to the living God. Amen. He has ears to hear you. He has eyes to see you. He has a voice to speak to you. And God is alive. And that's what makes all the difference 
in this world today. You know, when Joshua and the people of Israel went out to fight all these different people in the land of, the, of, land of Canaan, they fought all these different tribes, and they were afraid of them. When they went, the spies spied out the land, and they said, this is a great land, but there's giants there. We can never fight them. But can't, we know that Caleb and Joshua, they said, let's go. Let's go, because we're not fighting them on our own. We're, God's with us, and he's going to give us the victory. But I love what Joshua says to the people in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 10, where he says, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. That was a lot of different people. And God says, I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to give you their homes. I'm going to give you their cities. And I'm going to give you everything there, fully furnished in the promised land. Why? Because you have a living God. A living God who is going to do it. Yes, our God is the living God. And three time, 30 times, 30 different times in the scripture, the phrase the living God is used to remind us almost like once per day, right, in the 30-day month, like April. Remember, I am the living God. And we need to remember that, don't we? When things get tough and difficult and things are happening around us and we see no answers or solutions, we need to know that God is with us and he is the living God. He is alive. He's surely alive. The hymn writer said it so well. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And when we have the Lord living in our heart, we can be so encouraged, we can be so blessed, we can be ready to face whatever life throws at us on a Monday morning. You should think, on a Monday morning when you take your, your BART train or you drive in on the roads or you get into work, it's like, it's like a, 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 a huge dark cloud hovers over people on Monday morning and say, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay for a Monday. I'm doing all right for a Monday. Monday gets a bad rap. You know, Friday, his brother, Friday is so popular. I mean, he's the big man on campus. Everybody loves him, Friday, right? But Monday is so unpopular. But I like to bring a little popularity to Monday because God has created it for us and he's with us and we should be encouraged as believers that every day is a blessing. So God is a living God. Don't forget it. God is a living God. Secondly, and I love this, God is a limitless God. You know, in this world today, we have limits, don't we? We heard about it at Breaking of Bread this morning. I can't remember all the things I used to remember. I can't do all the things physically that I used to do. And it's, it's affected all of us. It happens to every person that as you grow older, these things happen. We're limited. Like Clint Eastwood used to say, a man's got to know his limitations, right? Well, God doesn't have to say that because he has no limitations. There's no limitations on what God can do. It's like that song, and my uncle Irvin used to love this one too. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Because he's unlimited, there's nothing he can't do. And in 
Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27, Ed's going to put it up there. Here we have the very words of God speaking. Jeremiah records them, but these are the very words of God from God's lips to our ears. And it says this in Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And he asked this question, is there anything too hard for me? Now, what a question. It's really a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously there is nothing too hard for the Lord, right? There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. So why is it that when the mountain's in front of us and the difficulty is there and the problem is, is raging around us, why do we forget that? Why do we forget that? Why do we think that the situation is completely impossible? Now, earthly speaking, it may be impossible, but our God doesn't go by earthly restrictions. He's not limited. There's nothing too hard for him, whether in time or in space or in any other thing. And I love the story of, of the angel Gabriel when he met with Mary. And he told her, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and you're, the Most High is going to be, come forth, the Messiah is going to come forth, and you're going to give birth to him. And she was amazed. How, how can I know this? I'm, just a, I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? And the answer to the angel was so exciting because it says in Luke 1.37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. It doesn't say some things are impossible for God, even for God. No, it's not because he's a God of miracles. He's a God who can do things that no man or human effort can do. And that's why we can remember this phrase that we have here in 1 Samuel 17, there is a God in Israel. It reminds me of the story years ago when they had that movie on television about Santa Claus, and the expression to the little girl is, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, right? Well, we know as we grow up, Kids, we think there really is, but we grow up, we find out there's not really a Santa Claus, right? I hate to, hate to break it to you, there's no Santa Claus. But there is a God, and, and he's a living God, and he's a limitless God, and there's nothing he cannot do. And that's why we need to give him all the glory. The story is told, and I told it once in a message a long time ago, but I love this story. It's a little humorous, but it's also very good. The story is told of a young boy that was traveling to visit his grandparents by airplane. And he just happened to be sitting next to a seminary professor on the flight. And so the seminary professor looked over and he's reading his Sunday school lesson that he had. His, his worksheet that the teachers give you know, the worksheets out and he's reading it over. And so the professor thought, I'm going to ask this young man a question. He says, young man, he said, if you can answer this question, he said, if you can tell me something that God can do, I'll give you this big, shiny red apple. So the little boy thinks about it for a second, and he said, Mister, if, if you can tell me something that God can't do, I'll give you a barrel of apples. I mean, here's this little boy who knew more theology than the seminary professor, because, yes, we can say what God, everybody knows what God can do, but we also have to remember there's nothing he can't do. And so that little boy had it right because there's nothing God cannot do. Yes, the Bible says it. Although, if you look in Scripture, there are two things. There are just two things that I know of. You may know of another one, but there's two things that God cannot do. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. 
Okay, that's something he's put a restriction there, says. So that's something God can't do. He cannot tell a lie. Number two, it says he cannot deny himself. You know, it says we are faithless, but he remains faithful, it says, for he cannot deny himself. So God has told us right there there's two things he can't do, but that's because he chooses not to do it. He's unlimited, though, in anything he chooses to do, and he always does that which is right and good and perfect in the world and in our lives today. Yes, there is a God in Israel, and David said that the whole earth may know it, that there is a God in Israel. So he's the living God, He's the limitless God. And finally, and this is really beautiful to me, he's the loving God. Because it'd be one thing to know that we have a living God. And it's also wonderful to know we have a God who is limitless. There's nothing he cannot do. But if we didn't have the third point, how could we ever feel that we could come into his presence? He's so perfect, we're so sinless, sinful. He's so great, we're so minuscule were nothing compared but the third point brings it all into focus he's not only the living god and he's not only the limitless god but he's the loving god this god who created everything that we can see everything in the universe he spoke the world into existence this great and mighty god came down to this world in the person of jesus christ to love us to die for us to save us from our sins so that we can be with him forever. He didn't have to do that. He could have been just as content with being the living God and the limitless God and living in heaven by himself. But he chose to love us, chose to include us in his great plan of salvation. And that brings joy and encouragement to our hearts. Sometimes we, we read Bible verses and they're so familiar to us, like the 23rd Psalm. We just, we've memorized it. We know it. We just kind of like say it without it, letting it even touch our hearts sometimes. And John 3.16 is like that. I bet if I ask you to raise your hand, I won't do it, but I bet if I ask you to raise your hand, if you've memorized at one time in your life, John 3.16, I bet in this audience like this that a high percentage of people would say, yes, I've memorized that verse. But how many times do we just meditate on it and think, this is a tremendous verse? Yeah, it's familiar, but it's tremendous. It says, for God so loved the world, that means he loved you and I, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, it's familiar, it's common, it's known, but that verse tells it all. That a God who is a living God and a God who is a limitless God is also a loving God who loves you and I personally, knowing all our flaws and all our weaknesses and all our sins, and he still loves us. That's amazing. It's like Andre Crouch that sang in that song that he wrote, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Where would I be if he didn't care? Where would I be if he hadn't sacrificed his life? Oh, but I'm glad. I'm glad he did. Aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad God didn't just stay in heaven and say, well, I gave them the chance, they blew it, they sinned, and now they're going to go to hell. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He loved you too much. 
He loved me too much. He loves the whole world too much to let that happen without giving every person the chance. And it is a chance. It's an opportunity to be saved. To accept that love and that gift, we have to do it. It says, if we believe, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, God's love is personal. God's love is precious. And God's love is powerful. It's powerful. Sometimes it's the, well, when you think about it, God's love is the most powerful thing. If you look at that movie we saw and other Christian movies we've saw and people's lives we've heard about and known about, our own lives too, the thing that breaks a heart of man more than anything else is not coming along with a big hammer and hammering people with the word of God, but it's presenting God's truth in love. Love is powerful. It's more powerful than anything on this earth. More powerful than the atom bomb or the hydrogen bomb or anything else in this world. God's love is powerful. It can change lives if we let it. If we let it. And because he loves us and cares for us, we can be encouraged today. Paul said some of the most beautiful things about God's love at the end of chapter 8 in Romans and we're going to look at just briefly at Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It's so wonderful. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you have Christ in your life, he's with you like this. He has the grip on you. We think, sometimes, Lord, I might let go the grip of your hand. We don't have to worry about it. He's got it. He's got our back. He's got us like this. He says, we're in the hand of the Father, we're in his hand, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you can't get it any better than that. God loves us so much. Wow, that, that's a love. I mean, and his love is filled with tenderness. It's filled with compassion. It's filled with affection for us. Why? Because yes, there is a God in Israel. There is a God in Israel. The same God yesterday, the same God today, and the same God forever. That's the God we have. And as we heard today from this message, and let's not forget it, let's be encouraged that we have a living God. I went out of that theater and I was so blessed because I won't spoil the story, but there was a victory that was won. And it was very much like the victory that David won because everything was against this lady. I mean, everything pointed to her losing. And she was God's child and she trusted the Lord and she wept and she pleaded with the Lord. And it looked like everything was going wrong. And guess what? The Lord came through for her. Why? Because he's a living God. Why? Because he's a limitless God. Why? Because he's a loving God. And he made her shine. But really not her shine. He was glorified. Because everybody could see it, that God is not dead. And he is surely alive. And he's a limitless God. There's nothing he cannot do. He's so powerful. There's no mountain that's too high for the Lord to get to us. There's no valley that's too deep. There's no river too wide to cross. There's no ocean that's too vast that he can't bring us through it. And that really brings it right home to me 
that he's a living God, that he's a limitless God, and that he's a loving God. And I'm so thankful for our Lord. And one day, we're going to see this great God in heaven. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time, but through the eyes of faith, we have seen him. But one day, through the eyes of our new body, as Mike said, we're going to have a new body. Jim said it too. And it's going to be great. And I won't need these anymore. Get rid of them. Walter, you won't need that walker anymore. He came in this morning. We were so happy. Lorraine came in and Walter had his walker. Walter, you won't need that walker anymore. And some people walk with canes and you won't need the cane anymore. We won't need hospitals anymore or doctors anymore or anything like this. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be with our Lord who loves us. And he loves us deeply, deeply. May the Lord help us to remember he's the living God, he's the limitless God, and he's the loving God. We can walk with him. We can trust in him. And it will never be a fair fight because when we're on God's side, we have it made. The scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If it's Goliath, sorry, Goliath, you're too short. You're too small. You're too weak because God is stronger than you. And anything that we have to face that looks like insurmountable, only the Lord can surmount that. We can give thanks because it's not in us, not in our strength. It's in him. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you're our God. We thank you that you loved us so much to send the Lord Jesus Christ down into this world to die for us on the cross. No one would have done that for us, Lord. There's no reason why you even needed to do it because we didn't deserve it. We were sinners and according to the scriptures, we should have died. We should have been in eternity in hell apart from you forever, but you loved us too much. We thank you, Father, that you are a living God. You're alive. You're on the throne and we can't wait to see you one day. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a limitless God. There's nothing that you cannot do. There's nothing impossible. You can do all things, Lord. And we thank you that you're a loving God, personally loving us. Sometimes when nobody will love us, you're the only one, Lord. But every person has at least someone to love them in this world, and that's you. And we thank you that when we have you loving us, we have it made. And so, Lord, we pray you'll bless us and dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to be truly thankful that we have an awesome God and all the things you have done for us. We're thankful, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. amen.